HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Mike Edison, host of Art Senses and Seizures. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. Talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
Welcome back. Happy New Year, everyone. Carter, Happy New Year. Thank you, buddy. 25 I know. Five days later. Twenty-five days later. Um, I don't know. How long can you say Happy New Year without looking like an asshole? I think. I think you can say it through January. Through January, you have until you have until like well, the you first know, t- yeah the end of January to like present your New Year's f- wishes for and the stuff. first time you see someone, right? Yeah, but I don't think you can do it in like February. No. If you do it in February, you have to say I actually met Chinese New Year. Oh, yeah, and then but that could be in January. Depending, you can save yourself this year. Yeah. This year, Chinese New Year is late. Usually, there we go. There you go. Uh, Anyhow, well, I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, here on Snacky Tunes. Greg is out in the uh, the the Park City at movie premieres, walking red carpets. Oh, really? I thought he was in London, or in is it L.A. Oh, I don't know. We're not sure. Oh, uh, it must be hard. It must be hard. But mm. uh, we miss you, buddy. Stay, stay safe on those slopes. Um, that was just our wonderful band, uh, Klaus uh, with Chump. And they'll be playing later in the half of the show, sipping some beers, eating some pizza real soon. Um, you might recognize that awesome bearded voice as our longtime co-host, Phil and Carter Adams. Cardam. Hello, hello. Good to see you. Great to see you last night. It was, yeah, well, you, I barely remember seeing you. Actually, I remember seeing you. You got me in. That was wonderful. Thank you. And Shout you got, out to Brenmar. He had his... Uh, his record release. It was great. It was so great. Good. It was really great. Super Speaking packed. of Chinese New Year, it was in a Speaking dim sum place. Uh, 8080's Palace would be that uh, the venue where when I pr- try and tell the kid, my kids that I was cool, I was like, I used to go to raves with like Uncle Carter at right. this dim sum place. And they're like, no one cares, Dad. Right. No one cares. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, even my coworkers won't care on Monday. Anyway, I want to welcome to the show Scott and Mark of Sir Kensington's. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank it's you. great to be here. It was such a great day. This is why I love New York. I ran into you at some... I don't even remember where I ran into you. It was party. at 88 Palace. Oh, it was at 88 Palace. It wasn't at Sundance? It was at the Lucky Peach uh, oh, right. holiday party. Right. Oh, uh, that was a fun party. I got I got a little knockback on that one. <laughs> Well, they had so be- inebriated that you invited me on the show. They literally had beers in the coat check line. Like, you didn't have to wait to get your coat off. You could just have a beer. First that is a hosting. good... Well, what type yeah. of sponsorship money do you have to pay to, to do that? I don't know. What, how, how deep are Tiger beers pockets? Um, probably not that deep. Not that deep. Product. No, but you don't understand. We have a lot of free product we can give you. Oh, oh boy. Anyway, we want to thank you guys for coming on. Um, guys probably have the most gentlemen of condiments... In the world, the most fancy, the most prestige, if you will. Is that just because they're called Sir? Well, I mean, the logo and everything. I feel, every time I eat your condiments, I feel like a little bit more regal. Well, that's our goal, is to help you feel distinguished. So, for people who don't know what Sir Kensington's is, please take us through your magical world of condiments. So, Sir Kensington's <coughs> is a line of classic American condiments that have been reimagined uh, to be created with all natural ingredients. And have more interesting textures, uh, more interesting flavors that are kind of, um, you know, have a closer relationship to what those condiments would have tasted like maybe a hundred years ago or when they were first really uh, invented or became part of the food world. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's all wrapped up in a distinguished package. Uh, and we sell in a number of stores across the United States and we work with restaurants as well. Um, I want to touch on, I know the flavor, we're going to get to it, but the texture thing is really interesting because a lot of people don't ever think when they think about condiments as adding texture to the food they're eating. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about maybe the white or I guess red elephant in the room who will not be named and why you want to improve on that texture for ketchup and for other condiments? Yeah, well, I mean, condiments are always, they're never a center of a plate item. So for us, trying to 
complement the food has always been goal number one, not overwhelm it. And I think that most ketchup, the red elephant you mentioned, and really all the other ones, it's it's a sugar bomb. You know, right. I think for the most part, ketchup has become something that's sweet, that's designed to be eaten with savory foods. And so it's sort of like mixing dessert with your main meal. And it's something that parents use to get kids to eat something that they don't want to eat. And so for us, we saw an opportunity to make ketchup back into what it was, which was preserving fresh tomatoes. And so every other ketchup has a really sort of plasticine, really gelatinous uh, texture. And we have that sort of rough, a little bit more rough, a little bit more natural tomato texture. And so for us, that felt closer to what it should be. So let's go back. Um, what, what is ketchup? Where did it come from? Yeah, I guess I didn't realize ketchup was, when I say let's go back, I want to go back like 100 years. Like, is ketchup really 100 years old? Oh, more, Longer. much more than that. So yeah. what's, so who did it first? Um, do you guys want to guess? I'm going to go with the English just because. Okay. Um, I don't want to say Italians because I feel like that they probably see ketchup as a Here's a hint. Up. We were just talking about this country. Is it Americans? No. Uh, I have yeah. to go back and listen. <laughs> so ketchup is actually a Chinese word. <clears throat> oh. Yeah. Oh, we were just. What? Oh. Like, and what? The flavor technology of ketchup, essentially when it comes to a savory uh, acidic condiment that would accompany things like meats or you know rice, tofu, uh, some basic proteins like that, and starches. That's a that's a Chinese word, and it was the the Dutch and the English seamen who were in Asia in the South China Sea and and tasting it. They brought this concept of huh. this savory condiment back to Europe, wow. and it was only when, when was that. Uh, this was the the so early, opium and ketchup early eighteen hundreds okay. really um, those great ketchup wars of the late eighteen hundreds yeah, really, that's why really tore the Western world apart and and at the same and roughly around the same time Hernan Cortez discovered the tomato in the New World mm -hmm. because it you know the tomato was never uh, native to Europe or to Asia uh, it was something that was a, a South American uh, native plant and so it was brought back to Europe and so the English were making mushroom ketchups they, they were making it's walnut ketchups anything with that, that high quantity of glutamate that savory flavor that we know huh. and it was it was and people don't know exactly but it was either the English or it was the Americans that combined the flavor technology of ketchup as a savory sauce with tomatoes and ultimately it was a way to sort of semi-ferment and preserve tomatoes so that they can be consumed all year round because you know tomatoes have a short growing and harvesting season uh, but people absolutely love them i could just see that conversation it's like kensington you're out of your mind <laughs> tomatoes instead of mushrooms and the ketchup but man he knew his on to so then so okay so now that we know where ketchup comes from where did you guys get your idea to start making condiments and start because the ketchup was the first one for you guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, did you guys cook, or did you guys just see an opportunity, or did you, in the way that uh, there was once only Budweiser and Coors, you were like, you know, we're not even going to go after the big guys. We're going to just do something for people who want something a little bit more artisanal. Well, we went to college together, and shout uh, it out. We went to Brown, Boston, Boston. Yeah. Providence, no, Providence, buddy. Providence, Providence. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Harvard is the one in Boston. Sorry, 
We didn't. We didn't get in there. Oh, so okay. You actually we went, went with, to college in Boston. You I should know this. College in Boston. I was just thinking my time. Anyway, forget it. <laughs> First day back, a little rusty. Happy um, New so, Year. so we went to college together. We were friends. We were, we were not professionally involved with food whatsoever. We didn't cook it professionally. We didn't work in restaurants, but we always really loved food. We were always around food, always talking about food. And uh, it was our last six months of school. We weren't really. We didn't have any big senior projects, but we were just talking about this idea that you know. So much in the food world was changing. There were so many, um, you know, you go to the grocery store, there were so many options from... What you, year? This was 2008. Okay. And obviously it's only gotten more right. uh, more so like this, but 2008, you know, whether you wanted something natural or expensive or cheap or whatever, you had unlimited choice in basically every category mm-hmm. except ketchup. It was this one thing that has, had been the same for 50 years. And we said it was like if you went to go buy a car and every car in every dealership looked like a VW Beetle, that's ketchup. Every ketchup is the same and a different label. And so we just started looking at recipes. That's probably why I don't have ketchup. I love ketchup. I don't like ketchup. Maybe. Maybe I'm going to change. Yeah. So you guys start – so you guys weren't cooking, but did you guys – so how did you start developing – and you can share as much as you want, but like how did you start developing – a new type of ketchup. Did you go with an idea and then work chefs or? Well, we really, I mean, first of all, just conceptually, you know, what Mark is describing is seeing so many things in food changing to the way that people were starting to eat. You know, there's this, there's this concept that food is in between nature and culture. And if you look at what ketchup had become, it was a result of the mid-century sort of military-industrial complex of World War II, something that could last for years and years without, um, you know, with preservatives and it could be shipped across the, across the world and um, was something that was really engineered to be cheap. And whereas everything else was changing to be closer to the agricultural products that were involved in it and also were catering to a more sophisticated palate. So uh, America famously loves sweet foods. You know, Mm -hmm. as a country, we love sweet foods. Coke. Uh, Yeah, Coca-Cola, you know, incredibly sweet. Sugar, just everything. Everything. Yeah. And, uh, but that, you know, at, in sort of niche places, that was really starting to change. And so... You know, immediately that was the thing that that leapt out to us from a personal taste standpoint. That normal ketchup was just way too sweet, and so when we uh, when we started, we began by saying, "Okay, you know, we want to use all natural ingredients. Uh, we don't really want to use as much sugar, but we will really focus on the flavor and the taste before everything else. And we also want to have a really distinctive kind of cultural positioning." Uh, we want people to know that if you know if this is going to end up on the shelf, we're not going to have a big marketing budget or anything like that. So we want people to immediately know this is dramatically different. So we said, okay, if we're going to put this in a package, it's going to be glass if they do plastic. And it's going to be scooping if they do squirting. Uh, and if they're Americana, we're going to be English. Amazing. Mm. And then how long did it take from the like figuring out what you wanted to do to actually landing on the exact recipe? It took about, well, it took the rest of our senior year. So over the course of four or five months, we developed maybe eight recipes at the, at the high end. And, and then were we, you working with, were you working with just yourself? No, just in our kitchen. That's well, awesome. Scott's oh. kitchen. Yeah. Which probably still smells like tomato sauce. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we, I have a question. Yeah. Are there cultures in which ketchup is not prepackaged? Like, you know, like if you go to the Mediterranean, people make their own mayonnaise, like mm-hmm. everything like that. Or is, is there anywhere where, People are like, oh, we're going to make ketchup. Or is it always just this thing that's like kind of like the store-bought 
long yeah. shelf life. You always just kind of have in a cupboard or in it's, the fridge. It's definitely become an American export uh, in terms of something that's always that's always shipped around and, and packaged. Um, I mean, at least to my knowledge, mm. it's not something that 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 cultures do. I mean, well, certainly the concept of creating a homemade condiment that has all the five basic tastes, which ketchup does. Um, sweet, sour, salty, savory, and bitter. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find those in chutneys. You can right. find those even uh, in some chili mustards. Yeah, chili paste. But calling it ketchup, that's something that has this iconic understanding of, like, the packaging of right. the squeeze bottle or um, or the packet. You know, that's something that is really an American export. Got it. Awesome. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. I want to hear about how you went from out of the kitchen and into the glass jar and then onto the shelves, and then about the other condiments, and then that awesome the fry exhibit that you guys did in the Lower East Side. It's
Uh, we are here with Scott and Mark of Sir Kensington's. And when we last left you, they were talking about how they've perfected their recipe. And so how did you go from starting what essentially was a small business and branding, <coughs> building brand awareness, getting people excited, and getting people to think that they needed another ketchup in their lives? And you have uh, 15 seconds to answer all that. <laughs> okay. Well, to begin at the beginning, we, when we had those eight recipes, we didn't know what was good. Yeah. So we had a series of what we called ketchup tasting parties. And, you know, we went to Brown, so they weren't the weirdest parties happening on campus. We got a good amount of people to show up. They, you know, we had wine and we had, you know, German dance music. We had tasting cards and we asked people to tell us which, how to rate each ketchup on, you know, a variety of factors. And that's how we settled on a recipe we thought was good. And ever since then, every new, new recipe we develop, that's how we get it out. That's how we spread the word from the very early, early days is get people involved and make it feel more like a family, make it feel more like a brand that's about entertainment yeah. than it is just about nutrition or just about the ingredients. And we had a we had this sort of intuition that if we were to just make these ketchups and point at it and say, that's the best ketchup, I mean, what do we know? We right. wanted to hear what people said. We wanted to kind of let people's reactions guide the product because we knew that that we wouldn't get any traction if we were just purely just trying to educate based on some platonic platonic ideal. We actually wanted to create something that we knew people said they liked, and that's why we did these blind tastings. So, what was the? Let's fast forward a little. But what was the? So you, you're out there. It's you got ketchup in glass bottles. It's on shelves. Do you remember what a tipping, the tipping point was for when it went from can we do this to oh we are doing this and people are really responding to the product we're putting out there. I well, first I would say I don't know if we've hit the tipping point yet. I I do think that in you know we're based in New York, so here I think a lot of people have seen it and heard of it. You know, when we go across the country to other uh, states that we're starting in, it's still very early days. Yeah, I think that when we came out with mayonnaise, that's when people started to actually notice the ketchup. Ironically, interesting. You know, I think that we spent two years only making ketchup, and people are so not interested in hearing about ketchup for all the reasons we were talking about. And so it, and that continues to be a challenge. But people love fat; they love mayo. Our mayo, I think, is awesome. And so that was sort of a gateway drug for people to find the brand and find the find the ketchup. And so I think that that was a big t- tipping point for us. So what are all the condiments? You have mayo, you have ketchup, and mustard, and mustard. Oh, there so, is mustard. There so, is. Yeah. So you're in the, I mean, you're love in the mustard, mustard game, yeah. which is probably an easier entry access than the ketchup or even the mayo game. Lower barriers to entry. Yeah, but I think people much, are used to like various types of mustard people are open to like mustard yeah. you know like people are, are like french's is not by any means like the mustard i don't think there's any dominant mustard right well i mean you know f- this country french's yellow is definitely if you look at the numbers the the dominator however sure you still have stri- coupon though you do and but the structure of the market in with must with ketchup and mayonnaise heinz and hellman's really dominate whereas mustard is much more distributed uh, and a lot of regional brands, a lot of smaller niche flavors. You'll see purple mustards, you know, local craft brewery mustards, all uh, kinds yeah. of stuff like that. So, what's uh, what are some of the less common uses of vehicles to get that ketchup and mustard and mayo into people's faces? I'm assuming fries and burgers are number one, right? But yeah. what I mean, I'm sure got people right to all the time. Be like, I used your ketchup on blank. Well, we were, um, you know, o- over the years, we've heard people use it in uh, like pad thai recipes because awesome. ketchup is often used uh, as a uh, a recipe in different 
Southeast Asian noodle dishes. And then on the mayonnaise, actually, I mean, everything from, uh, you know, tuna salad Ooh. to Japanese hand-rolled onigiri. Okay. They'll, they'll make like the this like tuna salad uh, onigiri with the with the mayonnaise, and then um, we also make flavored condiments as well. So we have a classic uh, ketchup, mustard, and uh, mayo, but we also have a chipotle mayonnaise, mm. a sriracha mayonnaise, and a Ooh, sriracha a, mayonnaise is yeah yeah well that's done. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, and so those, I think, lend themselves to a lot of other things. You know, like you know, uh, sushi, a sushi roll sauce. Something like that, um, but you know, I it, uh, we um, we sell a lot of omelets, a lot of eggs, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I love I love ketchup on egg egg and cheese. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's my, my favorite dipping sauce. Um, so you guys did something really cool last year at the end of last year, where you celebrated essentially the French fries in New York, um, which was literally called fries in New York. Yeah. Um, talk about that exhibit because it was unlike any other food exhibit I've ever seen. Uh, both historically and fun, and a real, uh, real in depth retros- like retrospective or uh, just overview of the fries of New York. And how did you come up with that? And talk to us about what the whole exhi- exhibition was. Yeah, well, you know, in these in these four years, as we've been making ketchup and and working with restaurants, we have seen and sampled so many French fries. How many fries? Well, there were uh, there were about a hundred fries in the show, wow. but I've, de- wow. I've but we've definitely had more varieties than that. Yeah, I mean countless. Yeah, thousands and thousands. D- don't you think <laughs> we need a really bad soggy fry? It's the worst. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, it's like you like no one ever says make them extra soggy. Yeah, <laughs> what that cool? actually? It's funny we we heard things like that. Really? Oh yeah, people people what? come into the exhibition. They'd be like, I actually like my fries soggy. <laughs> And we'd be Why like, you, oh, that's yeah. disgusting. Well, hey, you know, a, there's no accounting for taste. I guess when you're Ugh. doing something that super indulgent, like the French fries, probably one of the most indulgent foods, and it scratches that comfort itch. Like right. you want it exactly, exactly yeah. as, yeah. as, yeah. It's funny. We, you know, we've been selling to restaurants for since we started, and <laughs> every time we would go to a restaurant, we would have their burger, yeah. to have sure. the ketchup. And so we quickly got tired of burgers, but never got tired of French fries. Never tired. Of fries. fries are amazing. They're kind of like the perfect food. Yeah. Who has the best fries? Oh. Do you want to say? Like, do you want to say that on air? I, that's you might like get beat up. Who's my favorite child? I can't. <laughs> I, I don't know if we can name that. I had some really, uh, really good fries today. It's not one of the ones that was featured in the exhibit, but there's a restaurant called Birdsall House up in Peekskill, and they have a. Wow. They also have a, um, a restaurant in the East Village. Okay, that's they're really good. But um, to give to give the listeners kind of a, a oh, yeah, visual and, and and more about the exhibit, you know, we're fascinated by by food and food culture. And that's really how we communicate as a brand is around food uh, education and food entertainment. And we we realized that everyone had looked at burgers and there were ranking lists and, and burger maps of New York and of, of the country. There were documentaries about it. But the French fry had been overlooked. And actually, the French fry, when you really look up close at it, there's so many different varieties. Amazing. So we, cat- we cataloged 12 different varieties of French fries. For example, waffle cut curly cut, straight cut, skinny fries, sweet potato fries, uh, even palm souffle and, and really different um, interesting culinary techniques to, to create fries. And we, we took uh, one of each fry from 100 different restaurants and we preserved them behind a glass display case in, a, in an exhibition open to the public. 
Uh, and it was, as you say, in the Lower East Side, uh, bordering Soho. And it was open for three days. And we had just about 3,000 people come. Amazing. And it was open to the public yes. for free. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was really a highlight of my life because, I mean, people came in from Newark, New Jersey. Uh, one guy brought a potato. And he says, you know, my potato's name is Russ, as in Russ at Burbank. <laughs> and he said, you know, you should have a sign that says that th- this exhibition might be... Um, you know, might cause fear in potatoes. Huh. Uh, Russ was scared straight, and you know, it was, it was moments like that Whoa. where where we realized that we had created something that was a little bit bigger than ourselves, and that felt felt really good. It was great. And did you serve up French fries and ketchup while people were there? We, we did a couple times. Yeah. On fr- so Friday was like the main day. Yeah. We had a Friday 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 half hour. Yeah. Not lost on me. Love that pun. Good. And you yeah. serve fries and ketchup. and we serve fries. Yeah, we serve fries there, and they did- quickly ran out. I mean, people. People, well, people, people love fries. fries. People they love, love fries. Like, nobody is ever going to pass on a fry. It was, you know, to be fair to the to the guests who came outside of those windows, it must have been really hard because they were walking around looking at fries and salivating over fries. I bet they actually them. went and got fries. Yeah, after. I, they, yeah. We I heard, would be, I would be surprised if no one went and got fries. I think they did. Yeah. So, what are the next steps? What do you guys got coming up? World dominance? Not quite. Definitely not quite. I mean. Um, you know, there's there's so much left to do that's that's really within the reach of what we're already doing. I mean, there's so many great retailers that we don't work with yet. There's so many fantastic chefs and so many great burgers in this country. Um, you know, we're very far from world domination, and frankly, you know, world domination <coughs> is not a great game. Uh, so we're we're looking right now on a couple new products, uh, new sizes of our products, and d- developing some uh, some new flavors as well. And that's that. Those are going to hit late spring of this year, which we're really excited about. Awesome. So, where can people find you online? So our website is sirkensingtons.com, and uh, and you can find it nationwide in retail and Whole Foods. Um, you guys got Instagram, Twitter. <coughs> yep, it's all uh, at Sir Kensington. How's the uh, Instagram game for the ketchup, the condiments? I'm gonna oh. follow right now. Well, you know, we uh, food is such a visual thing. Yeah. And uh, Instagram has been really transformational, not only to sort of p- put out there what we're doing, but also working with so many restaurants and so many people that actually cook at home. It's incredible to see the meals that people come up with and, and the inspiration and, and the, the praise. Uh, and, you know, for instance, we just did this, this partnership with Mimi Chang's, which is a dumpling shop in oh, yeah. East Village. Yep. And they did a special January brunch dumpling, and it was served with our ketchup. And it was just incredible to see all these people come there and experience the food through their phones. You know, it's like some, it's like this, this mark in their diary and, um, you know, and taking pictures of the ketchup and the dumplings together and people kind of create this media all around their lives. Well, and honestly, the fries of New York, it was set up to be very photo worthy. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's how, as Scott said, that's how people live their life is oftentimes through a phone. Yeah. Um, there's actually a really great uh, article on that on CoolHunting.com if people want to go check it out. Well, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Love the ketchup. Thank you. Love the thank mayo. You. Love the mustard. I'm excited to just eat more of it. I like mixing the mayo and the ketchup together and dipping yeah. my fries in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they come call this spring. Sauce. Come this spring, you might not need to do it manually. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Is that a Snacky Tunes exclusive? That You heard it here first. Boom. Yeah. See that, Liz? See that? Yeah, I'm getting thumbs up from the engineer. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to have Klaus on live. This is a quick little song. Someday, 
when I'm awfully low and the world is cold. I will feel a glow just thinking of you and the way you look tonight. Oh, but you're lovely with your smile so warm and your cheeks so soft. There is nothing for me but to love you and the way you look tonight. With each word, your tenderness grows, tearing my fear apart. And the your nose touches my foolish heart. You are lovely. Never ever change. Keep that breathless charm. Won't you please arrange it? Cause I love you. And away. We are here with uh, Brooklyn's very own Klaus. Uh, welcome, uh, Chris and Lewis, to Snacky Tunes. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. I'm I'm loving this. I'm saying I got two dudes and double the amount of synthesizers. <laughs> uh, so welcome. So for those who don't know, Klaus. So Klaus is Chris and Lewis. Um, we've been playing together in various iterations over the past ten years or so, uh, and uh, this is our most recent project. Uh, it's the first time. The both of us have played uh, as a duo, and uh, and yeah, you know that's it. Um, I love the idea that you guys are, and I'm quoting here because there's no way I could come up with this. WBLS funk and industrial dance music, and you guys are right in the middle. <laughs> that's the goal. That is the goal. Um, how did you guys draw those two very different polar opposite ends of the music spectrum as influences? Well. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that a big part of it is the hardware that's used in both types of those music. Um, they, they share similar hardware, um, similar synthesizers, similar production techniques. Uh, and though you maybe wouldn't realize it at first, uh, a lot of the music that was made uh, by in both of those genres, the 80s funk and uh, sort of early industrial dance music, uh, it does have a similar sonic quality. It's just the message is entirely different. Um, and so we're basically trying to draw that bridge and make it a little more obvious for the listener how these two music forms are related. Yeah, it's like you you might recognize the sounds from the synthesizer, be like, oh, that sounds like an 80s funk sound, and oh, wait, that sounds like an industrial sound, and so we're kind of combining both of those genres to come up with what we what we think sounds good. Awesome. Uh, all right, well, enough, I'm sure people are scratching their heads who did not catch the very opening track of the song, but can we hear one live? Absolutely. Um, okay, here we go. What are you guys going to be playing? Funky Fantasy. <coughs> Funky Fantasy. All there right, go. we got Brooklyn's very own Klaus, Funky Fantasy, here live on Snacky Tunes. Mm. 
T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1.
I'm not going to lie. I totally get it. <clears throat> like, I totally see it. It's so much fun. <laughs> oh, my God. And that laugh with the effects. Oh, my God. No, no, no. You can leave it. You can leave it. I just don't even... Don't change the magic. So, uh, pretty epic. Pretty awesome. A lot of fun. Um, when you guys are writing together, are you... I imagine that you guys are thinking about both the tracks and then playing it live and things like that. So, what's the process? Like, how do you guys start on something like that and then wind up with what we just heard? All right. Well, I mean, it, it changes song by song. I mean, uh, we've been getting together and playing and just trying out ideas with the hardware, with the hard synths, and then creating the songs from there so that making sure that we can play it live. Yeah. Uh, but we also use the computer often because it's, it's sometimes easier to kind of compose and arrange things yeah. in the computer and then trying to find ways to play that with our hardware live. So it sort of depends on the song, how it, how it comes about. Uh, and then, so when you guys are writing within the computer versus the hardware, do you guys split it or do you guys like pull, where do you pull your inspiration from? Um, I would say a, a lot of it is from film. Yeah. Uh, we spend a good amount of time watching movies, um, particularly 70s and 80s movies, although a lot of current movies, um, mostly horror and sci-fi. And uh, we sort of take sonic influences and thematic influences from that mm. uh, and then try to inject it into that uh, that uh, idea that we were talking about earlier, the mix of the 80s R&B and uh, the sort of industrial dance music. F- favorite sci-fi, favorite horror movie? <sighs> That's tough. Pick one. I, look, it's like saying, what's your best French fry? But just... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Like, one? seriously, people? Uh, I don't know. Lewis, what do you think? Uh, I don't know about favorite, but we could maybe just say our most recent one we watched was this movie Gunhead. It's like this Japanese movie that started, I believe, as a comic book, or I'm not sure if it started as a comic book, but it's a good example we're talking about where it's kind of this, it's a sci-fi movie and the sounds that you hear in the soundtrack, similar, it's like a lot of the similar hardware, like we were saying, it's just another place where we hear these sounds and go, oh, that, you know, like that phrase or that melody or that sound in this scene, this weird glowing green pool and these guys in suits coming in, like this sounds like something that Klaus could score. This is like... We'd like to be there playing that. I could see you guys like watching movies together, like in the studio, just like hitting the pause button, just riffing right on the synthesizers. It's kind of like that. Although we'll we'll sometimes hear the the very synthesizers that we own in the soundtracks. For instance, for instance, Star Trek: The Next Generation is this this keyboard, the Roland D50. Yeah. If you watch The Next Generation, you have heard this like hundreds of times. So oh. drop just dropping a little Picard, a little Warp, a little Picard, a little Warp. We make it so. Make it so. Oh, my God. All right. On that, let's hear another tune. All right. What are we going to hear? Uh, This one's called Deliverance. Awesome. All right. Here we go. Klaus. Dude, I am loving literally the serious nature of having this, like, musical background during this interview. Liz, what do you think? Should we have all of our interviews backed by music? Getting two thumbs up. It's definitely the way to go. Definitely the way to go. We'll come come score your interviews. Oh, my (laughs) God. House band. House band class. Alright. Alright, here we go. Live on Snacky Tunes.
super nice. Thanks, man. Yeah, I love that. God, I love that reverb on standard interview questions. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to uh, talk about your live shows because you guys had the honor of playing some of the Last Land shows, uh, which was arguably the death, the final death of the local music venue scene, if you will. <laughs> That's not true. I know that's not. I mean, for that, arguably, if you think that the world is Williamsburg, uh, arguably, I don't know. Is there a counterpoint? No. Yeah. I, I I mean, for more of a specific area, and I think it was just because the the confluence of events were the rapid shutting of a year of all the events. But you guys got to play um, there and sort of like be we we were there in that last month. And um, how did those shows come together? What was it like playing in such like a a famous venue, if you will? Um, it was a fantastic experience. Uh, we were able to play twice in December. Amazing. Um, the first show was at the Glasslands Staff Party, uh, a.k.a. Stafflands. Uh, the second show, which was... <laughs> they did not waste a single opportunity for us. No, no, no. They no. didn't. No, no, they were into it. And yeah. he, that yeah. was a great party, too. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a lot of fun. And then the, the... I think it was the penultimate night? Anti-penultimate night? Oh, did you play with Symbols of Guitars? Uh, no, no. That was, I, was that the... I think, that was maybe the... That was that the 30th. Was the penultimate. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. The pen-penultimate. <laughs> the pen-penultimate. Yeah. yeah. So then we played, and we opened for Trust, and uh, that was a lot of fun, and... We played to about 200 people, maybe, which was probably the biggest crowd that we've played to um, so far. And they were, they were great experiences. Um, the shows came about, or at least our involvement in them, in, in part because uh, I had been working at Glasslands for about four years as an audio engineer there. Great work, man. Uh, thank you. No, thank you I mean, much. that venue, I, I was... I mean, I was there at the earlier shows, and one of the things that really impressed me was how you guys finally act last night, like, made it into a real sounding venue. It took a while, yeah. It took a while, but, yeah. like, and the different setups, moving the speakers and things like that, that was really amazing. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for saying that. Uh, it's something that we definitely put a lot of work into, and uh, I was really happy to be a part of a of a venue. Period. When I joined Glasslands, when people would say the the sound sucked, and then I was so happy to be a part of a venue where people were saying that the sound actually sounds good, and so that kind of uh, Glasslands and their growth sort of coincided with my growth as an audio engineer as well. I love that place. That was the most like if you were in a movie, it's like smash cut Williamsburg. Totally music scene totally it was like interior glass lands absolutely um and that must have been so awesome then you guys are doing another series of shows recently right with pop gun uh that was actually that was the pop gun shows that was the pop gun show but i mean but was it just those two or were you doing more of them uh it was just those Those we played at mercury lounge a couple weeks yeah Yeah, then we played at mercury lounge kind of three shows in i don't know three four weeks yeah um yeah, and so hopefully we'll do some more work with them. Um, some of the Popcorn guys are, are friends, so shout out to those guys. Uh, Rami, those guys. Jake, Rami. Gnome, great folks, great folks. Yeah, and uh, you know the bearhead is in Greg, the other guy, Snacky Tunes. Yeah, in his apartment right now. Oh, really? He's the one who bought it and then lent it back. Oh, I see. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I want to know who got the weird fur. I, you know, I think that thing had. Uh, so I think it was diseased. If it were an animal, it would have probably been put down. Would have so put down. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's in a dumpster somewhere. It's time to go. Um, well, I want to make sure we have enough time for one song, but I really love talking to you guys. Likewise, man. Thank um, you. Thank so, you for having us on. Thank you very no, much. Of, co- of course. So, where can people find you guys? What do you got coming up? When? Where can people get your music? I know you have a SoundCloud. We do. Yeah. 
it's a SoundCloud is underscore Klaus underscore. So that's not very easy to remember. So I just direct anyone who's interested in the music to go to facebook.com slash Klaus the band. Klaus with a K or with a C? Klaus with a K. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Klaus with a K. And uh, yeah, Klaus the band. Most of our stuff is Klaus the band. Um, How's your Instagram game? A lot of French fries and ketchup. Yeah, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's the wrong guest. It's the wrong guest. Um, God, a lot, of, a lot of synthesizers. So rough yeah, today. A lot of, it's like synth porn. Really. You know, yeah. the great thing about synthesizers is that they're really photographable, and people. Do- <laughs> um, that's next time we that, can talk about that. That's next time. I actually believe that bands should never put up photos of them playing live or anything to do with their music. Oh yeah. Yeah, I like. The, um, you mean on Instagram or you on mean Instagram. in general? Like on Instagram, it's like I want to see like. I don't need uh, to see a photo of you guys playing. Like, I want to see like you guys out in the world, like having fun, like eating tacos and things like that. Cool. We'll keep that in mind as yeah. we step up well, our need, Instagram game. Yeah, we yeah. need a Klaus Instagram. Yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't actually have one. We have oh. individual Instagrams, but they're mostly selfies and Lewis Pictures and of sins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess, you know, the Beth synth Instagram account could be a thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 definitely. There are quite a few, trust me. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure there are. Yeah. Um, and so when's the next show? When can people see you live? Um, we don't currently have a show uh, scheduled at the moment. All right, so uh, Bookers of New York, so you're yeah. fucking up. <laughs> Reach out to us if you want to book them. Next Sunday. Um, tunes. Yeah, yeah, next Sunday. It's, yeah. A, yeah. Hopefully. it's the house band. <laughs> That'd be great. Scoring the interviews with a doomy synthesized wall. <laughs> yeah, just a, a, a low hum be like, I didn't know I was this nervous about talking about pizza, but okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we, we, so right now we're working on recording, and uh, we, uh, I think we're going to make a video for the next song that we're going to play. Definitely make a video, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, it was really easy to share our music when we made a video, uh, was it last year? Yeah, For last Trump, year. the song that played earlier today. Uh, yeah. It's a great way to just like, send stuff to people. It's yeah. fun. Where I you, get it. Where did you guys shoot that? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, we shot it in a in a few places. Okay, um, but primarily, I live in Greenpoint. Yeah, and when I uh, I'm fortunate enough that I live somewhere that has a view, and I can see Manhattan, which is yeah. lovely, Long Island City, which is all right. But then I can see this. Uh, like nuclear waste facility. Uh, yeah. It's like a waste treatment plant, basically. And it's fucking... Oh, sorry. Can no, I you can say it? Okay. <laughs> you can. You can. It's fucking amazing. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. I mean, it's uh, it's a testament to, like, uh, you know, man and engineering. And it's just, like, looks like it's from another planet. Awesome. Yeah. It's wonderful. So we did most of it there. Awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So what's the last song you're going to play? So this is called Rise. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, well, I want to thank you guys. Cool. Uh, you guys can get up. And cool. uh, Carter. Thank you so much. Yeah, Carter, yeah, thank you thank so you. much. Uh, yeah, happy sorry, sorry I wasn't on the slopes of Park City or anything. You know, I had to come in. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I want to say a special shout-out to Sarah Hooper. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah, Big Bear, also on the big, slopes. Big Bear, also on the slopes. Uh, the whole West Coast crew out there. We're about there. to get the biggest uh, snowstorm in the history of New York, apparently. Yeah, so, uh, so be safe. There. Hunker down. Get some pizza now. Catch up, too. Uh, shout out to mom and dad, and shout out to Lindsay Buckingham for impregnating me on Thursday night at the Garden. It's disgusting. W- with uh, I'm so afraid that that solo just put a baby right in my stomach. It's disgusting. Um, all right, guys, Sir Kensington, thank you so much. Go buy it. Damn, damn the red man. That's what it worked. Not that much. Uh, I, 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 prob- I don't know if you can say that. Uh, uh, maybe not. Yeah, that's not what you should say. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. Um, 
Thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week. We're going to be here all month. Super excited. Shout out to Roberta's Heritage. Liz, always. Thank you so much. I hope you've been writing down all these awesome ideas of, of house bands and things like that. You guys ready? All right. Here we go. Class one last time live on Snacky Tunes, and we'll see you next week. Conosco ma in pratica i segreti occulti che danno loro il potere di agire sulla realtà, sulle persone, ma solo, ripeto, solo in senso maligno. Capisce, cara? Il loro scopo è ottenere vantaggi materiali e personali, ma possono raggiungerli esclusivamente con il male degli altri, con la malattia, con la sofferenza, il dolore e non di rado con la morte di coloro che prendono di mira per una qualsiasi ragione. Hey, Lieutenant, wasn't this the old Hodgstetter place?
to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.